God, would you show your greatness today in this time, this time that we set aside to dig into your scripture. Lord, the words on the page are written by me, but the power is through you. May you bring your power today, Holy Spirit, that we could learn, that we could change, and we could do for you what you call us to do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the biggest party that you've ever been invited to? Maybe a, a gathering at work of a hundred people. What about a, a graduating class of a thousand in one party together? Well, the biggest party I was ever invited to was, wait for it, one million people. That's a big party. I was, <laughs> not with stock, come on now. I was invited by, by these young people on the left. This is, these are young people from the ministry I work at in Brazil. And they invited me to go on a thing called the March for Jesus. Marcha para Jesus in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And we spent hours and hours walking through the streets of Brazil. Christians, a million Christians marching. It ended at a venue where there was a big band and music and singing and dance and all that. But the entire time we were marching, this is Brazil. It was not just walking. Trust me. These people were dancing like crazy. And they had these giant trucks. And about 10 foot up, the top of the truck was, was flat. And on every one of these trucks, there would be a large band on the truck. And so as you moved along, there'd be like a band here, but you'd be walking a little faster than these giant trucks, and a band here and a band there. And as I was marching and singing and dancing and worshiping, all I could think of was, this must be what heaven is like. This must be what heaven is like. Heaven is so often compared to a giant gathering, a party a banquet that we are all invited to. Luke 14 that we're going to look at today ends with the parable of the great feast. But our entire passage today is like one gigantic meal, complete with hors d'oeuvres, salad, main course, and dessert. So are you ready to feast today? All right, let's do this. To better understand our meal for the day, we're going to just jump and start at the very end for a moment. I want to explain the meaning of the great feast that we're going to read about in a few minutes. So God is preparing a banquet, and you are all invited. Your invitation has already been sent. It was sent in the person of Jesus Christ. And when you, as Romans 10.9 says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When you've done that, you've accepted the invitation, and the banquet in heaven is yours. Are we clear on this? Okay, because we're going to muddy the waters in a little bit, so I want to make sure we have that piece all set. So as believers then, how should you live, how should we live our lives in preparation of the great feast? Jesus is going to show us in one crazy dinner party in Luke. So I'm going to take it apart in three bites. The first way we live in preparation for the great feast 
is as compassionate healers. Compassionate healers. I want to read Luke 14, 1 to 6. You can take out your message notes and you can fill in the word healer there. Healer. We're to feast, to come to the feast as a healer. None of the scripture is up on the board today, on the PowerPoint, on the screens, but you can follow along Luke chapter 14. Here we go. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him, sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or a cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? And again, they could not answer him. I was thinking, it's kind of funny. We actually never hear of Jesus eating at all these meals. Like, he goes to these meals. We don't ever hear of him eating. But from the moment he enters the room, people are watching him, and he is watching them. And then these conversations breaks out. Jesus asks a question about this, or he looks at some people and starts talking about that. So every meal, in some way, is this encounter. It's this teachable moment. And here, the Pharisees and the people are watching Jesus as he comes in. I went to a Christmas party decades ago, and all of a sudden, there was this, this moment of commotion as everybody looked at the door, and in walks this giant of a man. He was as handsome as could be, tall, strong, but it was the bling-bling that drew everybody's attention. He was wearing a very large gold World Series championship ring, and everybody knew when he entered. I think that's the same way it was for Jesus. There's mingling, the party's getting going, and all of a sudden there's this, as everybody turns to look, there comes Jesus. He's coming in to our party. Well, it turns out that this meal, like many others we see about here, it's a setup. It's a setup. I I wonder if before Jesus RSVPs to these parties, he thinks, here we go again, another party at a Pharisee's house, and this time it's on a Sabbath. And he gets ready to go. So as you know, the Pharisees are the religious leaders. They're the the keepers of the law. Their words were gold to the people. And they love that position of power. But here comes Jesus onto the scene. And all of a sudden, people are beginning to listen to him. They're beginning to follow him and not the Pharisees. And so the Pharisees are concerned, and they are continually trying to trap Jesus. If they can get Jesus to expose himself as a fraud, to actually go against the words of the law or the very words of Moses, they figure they can take him down. There's a man at this dinner. He has swollen limbs. One version had this uh, word dropsy, which is an archaic term. We would use the word edema. It just means uh, an accumulation of water, and it's uh, soft tissues. And so that's what this man had, something going on with him. Uh, So a man who's disabled at this party, at a Pharisee's house, nope, not going to happen. It would never take place. Now, we're going to see later why this man and uh, so many others like him should be at these gatherings. But right now, he would be considered unwelcome and certainly would not have been invited for dinner at this place. So the trap has been set for Jesus. How will he respond? 
without fanfare, Jesus challenges the Pharisees and their legalism. Can you heal on the Sabbath? Now, Jesus doesn't seem too concerned about the law, but he really does seem concerned about people. And he's compassionate, and he reaches out, and he heals the man and sends him on his way, another thing showing that this man wasn't ever intended to stay at the meal. And then Jesus gets personal with the Pharisees, and he asks, what if it was your son? What if it was your son? He's pushing the issue with the Pharisees, but they do not answer. How could they? Would they let their son die in a pit because it was the Sabbath? Jesus spins the table on them, and he leaves them speechless. He's avoided another Pharisee trap. So what's the takeaway from this little section? I've decided to go with the phrase to go to keep with our theme. What's your to go from this little piece, from this first bite of our meal from Scripture? On your message notes, there's a little space under the two words to go, and you're going to get your application in three pieces today. So whenever I come to the to go, I want you to just start thinking, what is it I should write in here? God, what is it that I'm supposed to hear? What little snippet, what takeaway, uh, uh, what motivation am I to put in here that's going to help me throughout this week? That's what the to go is all about. So here's some things you can think about. We are to live as compassionate healers. We may not be called or gifted to heal anyone physically, but we can help heal emotional damage, painful memories. Or just being able to come alongside someone who's feeling helpless. We are surrounded by people every day who are in need of a healing touch, a smile, a kind word, a generous gift or an act of compassion. They're around us every day. Who is it that you can help heal today? Colossians 3.12 reminds us of how to live when it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It is people who live as compassionate healers who will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, as they enter into the great feast. The second bite out of scripture today, the second way we live in preparation of the great feast, is also found in that Colossians verse we just read, and it's, we are to be humble. Let me read Luke 14, 7 to 11. When Jesus noticed that all those who'd come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed and you'll have to uh, take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In the ancient world, at a banquet, the table was in the shape of a giant U, and the primary guest of honor would be the one sitting at the very base of that. The next most distinguished guest would be on the left of right of the honored guest, and then around from there on status relative to the honored guest is where you would take your seat. But often the most honored guests, those at the base, they would show up the latest. My wife and I went to a movie a while back, and when we got there, you know, not too soon, and the only seats left were the very front row, and we took them. 
And as I'm sitting there, I'm looking around, and five minutes before the movie is starting, there's nobody in this theater. And I'm getting a little angry. I'm thinking, why didn't we get some better seats? Why did we get stuck with these? What I didn't know that these days, you can reserve your online seating for movies anytime. And so people had already reserved their seats. So I looked around when the movie started, and the place is packed. And I'm thinking, wow, they knew. They knew they could come as late as they want because they already had their seats. That, that's how I see this banquet thing in Jesus' day. The honored guests would arrive last because they knew they already had a seat reserved. Oh, by the way, have you seen, uh, have you been to a movie with those new super comfortable layback seats? Front row is no problem. It's great for a nap. Just pay the money and go take a nap. Now, in our current world, though, taking the bad seats goes against everything our culture tells us to do. We are told, be first in line. Don't settle for second best. Climb the ladder of success to the highest rung. Get that promotion. Do what you can so that people will recognize you. We might even say, do people not know who I am? Do they not know what I've done? And we come to the point where we actually think we deserve the best seats in the house. But that's not how it works at the great feast. It's not how we are supposed to live as believers in Jesus. We are to live with the humility that comes with knowing who it is that's putting on the banquet for us. You know, I can't recall a time when I took a best seat somewhere and asked to move, but there was this one wedding. You know how after the ceremony, the, the bridal party goes off to take pictures. Oh, good <laughs> Lord. Sometimes hours and hours of pictures. And I guess I'd had enough. And so I got it from my place. I don't know what I was thinking. I got it from my place, and I wandered over to the big banquet spread, and I picked up a plate, and I was just going to get some snacks while I was waiting. And a host had to come and pull me back and say, could you please wait until the bride and groom get their meal? <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. The bride and groom get to eat first. Oh, it was embarrassing. We should never look for the best seats, but humbly offer those to others, that they would be closer to the host, closer to the distinguished guest. And in our case, we need to do anything we can that would draw others closer to Jesus Christ. Give them the seats that would help them do that. The to-go from our second course of our meal of Scripture has to come from Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Narcissism. It's a big deal in our world today, isn't it? It's a problem. A narcissist is a person who has an excessive interest in or admiration of themselves. It's derived from the Greek myth about Narcissus who fell in love with his own reflection in a pool of water. A narcissist believes the world revolves around them, but it doesn't. It's really difficult to be filled with the things of God if you're already full of yourself. I want to challenge you to put away any narcissistic thinking or actions anything that's self-seeking, and instead replace it with this word, altruism. Altruism. To be altruistic is to have an unselfish concern, unselfish concern or 
or devotion to the welfare of others. It comes from the French word that literally means other people, putting other people first. The perfect example of this has dominated our newsfeed lately as 12 young boys and their 25-year-old coach, soccer coach, were rescued from a cave in Thailand after 18 days. The world watched on the edge of their seats as more than 1,000 rescue workers, including engineers, medics, military personnel, and an international team of divers. They worked day and night to bring these young people through this dark, wet cave to safety. One diver, Thai Navy Sergeant Saman Kunan, died after running out of oxygen in the cave. These altruistic men and women were never thinking of themselves, but were solely concerned with the welfare of these precious, this last picture, these precious boys and their coach. What an amazing and positive story. We need more stories like this. Stories that involve people humbling themselves and working together towards a greater cause. Luke 14, 11 makes it clear, for those who will exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I believe the world is always a better place when people think of others first. Here's your to-go. Here's something you could write in for the space provided. Who in your world needs to be thought of today? Do you need to make a call, write a note, send an email of encouragement or a text to someone? Do you need today to humble yourself? Maybe ask for an apology from a family member, a friend, or a coworker. What can you do today that would help someone, anyone, move one step, one seat closer to Jesus? Don't hesitate. Do it now. You never know what will happen tomorrow. The next bite out of our scripture today, the third course Another way we live in preparation of the great feast is to show hospitality. Luke 14, 12 to 14. Then he turned to the host. When you put on a luncheon or banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Turns out true hospitality is to welcome and give generously without expecting anything back. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about loving your enemies, and he states this. He says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? He says, even corrupt tax collectors do that much. It may be in our current story that Jesus is now calling out this Pharisee whose house he's been invited to. He's asking him, what's in your heart? Because all the people you invited, the rich, the powerful, the politicians, businessmen, civic leaders, they're all here because they have something to offer you. You expect them to do something for you in return. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And we tend to do kind of the same thing today. We have a a fancier and a kinder word for it. We call it networking. (laughs) We network. And networking is certainly not always bad, but it can be very self-serving. The challenge here is to be self-sacrificing, inviting people that could never repay you in any way, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. 
In the Old Testament book of Leviticus, these exact people are mentioned as those who cannot go into the temple to worship. So Jesus is breaking down walls, and he's beginning to paint a picture of what the kingdom of heaven will be like. The only reward you get for inviting rich people to your house is you get invited back to rich people's houses. That's it. But there's a better reward. It's a heavenly reward. And it comes for inviting those who cannot pay you back. And it says that this reward will be given at the resurrection of the righteous. There's this concept called reward theology. It's long and it's complicated. But suffice it to say that what we do here on earth makes a difference in heaven. We don't get into heaven because of our performance on this earth, right? We already know that. That's through Jesus. We made that clear in the beginning. But there is some sort of reward for what we do here on earth. I'm going to just share one verse. It's Jeremiah 17, 10, and it says, But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due reward according to what their actions deserve. If you want to know more about this reward theology, I suggest you, you Google it, you study it, be aware of the sources that you're just drawing from as you do that, but it's an interesting, interesting thing. But what we do here makes a difference. How we treat people here makes a difference in heaven. The to-go from our third course of our meal is a powerful one. Jesus is calling us to spend time with people who are not like us. These may be people we are quite uncomfortable around. Maybe they speak another language. They're on a different social or economic status. Or maybe they even have different religious or political views. <laughs> it may just be that we are called to be around the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. I shared about my trip to Mumbai, India last summer with Jessup University, uh, but this is exactly what we were trying to do. We would leave our flat every day at about noon, and we would spend, our team would spend the next 10 hours in threes walking through the streets of Mumbai, going into the malls, being at the food courts to escape the horrendous heat and humidity, and going into their parks simply to find people who were not like us and to start a conversation with them about Jesus. Honestly, it was one of the most uncomfortable things I have ever done. Go to the next picture. That was a pretty cool one, though. You know, I hate to admit it. We'll leave that picture up for a second. But I started taking yoga about two months ago. I'm trying to get this old, sports-riddled back to be a little bit better. And in the first class that I took and a few classes after that, all they are is intense stretching. That's all they are. You just lay on the ground and you stretch. But they put you in those positions. I mean, imagine sort of just being wrapped around your own body like a pretzel. And then they say, okay, now stay there for three to four minutes. I'm like, are you kidding me? I just want to cry. This hurts so bad. And then the instructor would say something like, don't try and get out of this just because it's uncomfortable. In fact, stay there and breathe through it because the reality is you are uncomfortable now so that it will bring you a benefit later. Man, I immediately walked out of that very first class and I think that's what God does. 
That's what God does to us. He causes us, asks us to do uncomfortable things, to put ourselves in uncomfortable positions. And when he does that to me, all I say is, God, I just want to get out of this. This hurts. This is uncomfortable. Let me move on. And he says, no, stay there. Breathe through it. Pray through it because you know that what's uncomfortable now is meant to be a blessing to you in the time to come. It's meant for you to grow, to be stronger in the ways that you can. How are you doing on this one? How willing are you to be uncomfortable and spend time with people who are not like you? I want you to think about these opportunities. I literally just sat for about two minutes and these were popping into my head. These things that we could think about doing. Can you volunteer to tutor kids at a local school? Provide temporary foster care to a child in need? Work at a soup kitchen or help the disabled? Can you give clothes? We talked about that this morning. Provide a meal? Read to the elderly? Share your finances or drive people to appointments? Can you support refugees? Pray for the homeless? Assist those in poverty? Or be a big brother or big sister to someone? Can you open up your home for a meal? Ron said it a couple of weeks ago. What has God put on your heart? Whatever it is, go for it. We are to live as compassionate healers, humble and hospitable in preparation of the great feast. The final course of our meal today is dessert. It's the best part of the meal, I think. It's the pièce de résistance. It's the icing on the cake. And this last, actually it is the cake. And this last section needs to be digested completely for the entire dinner to be taken in. It's the parable of the great feast. Let me read our last section, Luke 14, 15 to 24. Hearing this about this reward for those who could not repay you, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pair of oxen. I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. The master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Does that sound familiar again? After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So the master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of the banquet. Verse 15, it's that one person, that crazy uncle that gets invited. Maybe you are that crazy uncle, I apologize. That gets invited to the party but just can't keep their mouth closed. It's like up to this point, it's been kind of tense in here. And so this guy blurts out this toast. It's going to be great that all of us will attend a banquet in heaven. But he's really, he's not quite tracking with Jesus. But many at this dinner party would expect that they would be at the ultimate party hosted by God simply because they had the right blood type. They can claim ancestry back to Abraham, back to the nation of Israel. So they think they're good, that they are in, 
that God would have to throw open the gates of heaven for them. But Jesus, Jesus addresses them in this last verse of our section. He says this, For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. The nation of Israel got their invitation like we have in the person of Jesus. But as the Apostle Paul mentions in John 1.11, it says, He, this is Jesus, He came to His own people and even they rejected Him. They turned down the offer to come to the table. They said no to the invitation. But that same invitation then in the person of Jesus was then made available to the Gentiles, all those who were not Jewish, to us and to all future generations. The banquet is open for all of us. Here's a few quick interesting things to know about this great feast story to understand it fully. There was a system, not unlike today, where you would send out an invitation for a party, a banquet, or a meal. Uh, But there was a pre-invitation to let people know the party was coming, but it might not have a date on it. Uh, Unlike today when you get months in advance, save the date. This would just say, hey, a party is coming sometime. It might take a while to prepare such a great banquet, to buy the food and uh, prepare it on time, to get the house ready for guests. And so you didn't know. But then the second invitation would come out and it would just say, okay, party's on. Come on, show up. Here we go. And as that second invitation goes out to the guests in our story, who'd already said they would attend, they start coming back with lame excuses. The first two, land and oxen, you would never purchase either of those without already inspecting it or already trying them out. That's lame. The last one, uh, why would you say you would come to a banquet when you knew that you were going to be getting married? Another lame excuse. But, but let's be honest, have you, ever, <clears throat> have you ever made a lame excuse to get out of going to something... I need to wash my hair. That, that wouldn't be mine, by the way. <laughs> my car is broken. I don't feel well. We can't get a babysitter. I'm busy that day. To reject an invitation to a banquet was not just a grave breach of social etiquette. It was personal. To say to the host, I don't want, it would say to the host, I don't want to have a relationship with you. You would never turn down the gracious gift of hospitality unless you simply just didn't want their friendship. Now listen, this is very important because these are the same kind of excuses people make today in either rejecting God or making the things of God a priority. I'm in an unhealthy relationship that would not honor God, so I can't get near to him now. I have land. I have horses. I have to work around the house and farm on the weekends. I'm so busy with friends and the kids' soccer tournaments and social events. I can't make it to church today. I'll follow God closer someday, but but for now, I'm, I'm more into my own life, my own schedule, my own priorities. If you truly want a relationship with Jesus, don't reject his invitation to meet with him daily, to meet with him daily in prayer occasionally in small groups, weekly here at our service. Don't miss out on all these moments that you get to feast with God. Well, let's finish our meal. The master wants a big party. He wants every seat filled. So he sends his his servants locally first to all those who would feel the most unwelcome 
to the feast. Those mentioned earlier, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, come, come to this party. There's still room after that, so it says the servant goes even further out to the very edges of town to urge people to come. Now, those who feel the most unwelcome might hesitate going to this fancy banquet. They might think, I have nothing to bring, no housewarming gift, no bottle of wine, not even clean clothes. I have nothing. I don't deserve this banquet. The master has everything. That's why they use the word urge. They need to be convinced. They need to be shown that the master has everything. Nothing is needed on your part. You pay nothing because the master has paid for it all. The feast is open to all who feel unwelcome. Okay, do you see where the story's going? It's pretty clear, right? God wants us at the great feast. There is a spot being held for you in heaven. You only need to say yes to Jesus' offer of a new life. You don't deserve this, and you pay nothing because Jesus paid the price on the cross. You don't have to be a certain kind of person, and you don't need to bring anything. You just RSVP. Now, our series is actually called Open Table, and I got this app recently. Uh, it, it helps you discover, I think there's a picture of the app. There you go. It, it helps you um, discover and manage your restaurant reservations for those that go out a lot. Uh, it's all about being able to RSVP. It makes going to a restaurant easy, and you know you'll have a seat when you arrive. My final challenge for you today is to RSVP to Jesus. No excuses, no putting it off. I once buried an invitation under a pile of papers, completely missed the wedding. I don't want you to miss the banquet. God is waiting for you. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Every RSVP requires a choice. You either respond with a no or you choose to ignore it, which is also a no. The other choice is to say, yes, yes, I'll be there. I will come. Will you say yes to Jesus? Either today to commit to live as a compassionate healer, humble and hospitable. Or perhaps today you want to say yes to Jesus' invitation for the very first time, indicating you want a new life with him and you want your spot reserved at the great feast to come. Everyone is welcome. RSVP, as you know, is French, respondez-vous, s'il vous plaît. Please respond. Would you please respond today? Let me pray. If you have never said yes to Jesus, if you've never invited him into your life, I'm going to say a prayer that you could repeat quietly after me. Just pray this. Jesus, I confess to you that I have sinned that I've wandered far from you. I now ask you, Jesus, to come into my life. Forgive me. Help me to live daily for you. 
I now RSVP. I accept your invitation to the banquet. Thank you for holding this place for me in heaven. For everyone else, God, I pray that we would be healers, we would be humble, we would be hospitable. As we go throughout our days, we would have our eyes open and our hearts open to those you would bring before us, that we would reach out in kindness and compassion, that we would notice those who are crippled, blind, lame, or those that are different from us, that we would cross boundaries and borders. We would be willing to be uncomfortable all for you, Jesus, so that the banquet seats will be filled in heaven. Lord, make us be bold to proclaim that and to urge others to come to the banquet. Amen. Amen.